everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to a Marvel Mailbag episode of Make Ours Marvel. Yay! We are the Make Ours Marvel Mailbag. Yay. We should make a record, like okay. Marvel did. And, and sell it, and make millions. And Steve Ditko won't be on it. I mean, Aww. he wasn't on the first one, but also, sadly, you know, no more Ditko. Maybe we could find a recording and just make him be on it. Dude, if Ditko's voice is actually ever recorded anywhere, he's probably deleted all the copies. <laughs> I don't think I've barely even seen a picture of him, but... Just look at look at his first 15 issues of Spider-Man. He's drawing himself. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're back here to do some feedback. And, you know, it occurred to me, this is going to come out alongside episode 26, which means we've been doing this for six months. All right. Every week, people. No time off. We have not missed a week yet. Well, we may have, but they don't know. <laughs> well, that's the great thing is we give ourselves so much lead time that you and I can do whatever. Although, episode- honestly, I don't think you and I have missed more than maybe two weeks in a given, you know, six-month period, I guess. Yeah, we rarely, we rarely miss. It's pretty great. This has been a fun show to do. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to spend our time listening to what you think about the fun show we do, listener peoples. Um, right. So where do you want to start? Our, this is our second mailbag. Um, and we should start with, um, 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 how about we start with where we left off in July? We got some, uh, Al Sedano who likes to comment via our face, our website, which is kind of nice because that way our website has a reason to exist. Right. Um, so we can start with his, his one called, uh, how about I just read it? It's from the, called, from the, uh, uh, the worst stepfather. Yeah. Yeah. Let me pull that up really bad there. Worst stepfather uh, came to us on July 14th, if anybody cares. Well, since John yelled at me on the mailbag episode today, so I guess that was the last one we did, I'm going to stop being lazy and comment again, though I apparently forgot to take notes on the Deadpool 2 special and episode 6 and 7. Anyway, on to episode 8. Slacker. Okay. Strange Tales number 102. You had said something, I forget what, about where to find reprints reprints of these stories. All of them are available on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited, where I sadly read them. Not sure why that's sadly. But uh, he continues. Fantastic Four number eight. The Puppet Master isn't a mutant. The clay comes from, oh boy, I have to say a word that looks hard to read. One, one Degore Mountain. It's where the High Evolutionary originally had his base and created his new men. It's also where the spirit of the Elder Demon... Another weird one. Sithon? Sithon? Sithon, Cathon, something. There's no vowels there. Who wrote the magic book, The Darkhold, was imprisoned, and I'm pretty sure where Jessica Drew got her Spider-Woman powers, among other things. I'm really wondering how he was able to marry Alicia's mom. I'm sure his puppets had nothing to do with it. So, Puppet Master also has robots. Maybe the Tinkerer has a mail order business? Okay. So, wow. Um, if we ever made the connection between Puppet Master getting married and being able to coerce people into doing what he wants them to, uh, I, I, I forgot. That's, that's a really creepy idea. You know, I'm positive we didn't because, yeah, that's crazy. I think we just talked about or tried to figure out why anybody would marry him. But, of course, duh, he's all about the mind control. Right. And mm. Al Sedano would know about Wendigore Mountain because the High Evolutionary is the one who helped get Adam Warlock on his way back in the 70s. And Al Sedano has a podcast called Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. 
So he is the man to know for those sorts of things. When you say on his way, what does that mean? Well, um, because Adam Warlock was created as a one-off weird bad guy on Fantastic Four. And then he showed up again in a couple of random issues of Thor. And he was just known as him. Mm -hmm. I remember that part. Pinnacle of human development or whatever. Uh And so um, they sort of relaunched and rebooted the concept of the character for an ongoing series and the high evolutionary like played a hand in how him transitioned into being Adam Warlock. Okay. I don't and, know much about the high evolutionary other than that one like storyline he did in the eighties or something um, with, with the Avengers and X-Men, I think. Yeah. But the I evolutionary war. Yeah. There you go. If I recall the word storyline is really kind of flattering to what that actually <laughs> was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He was just kind of there. Or something. I, don't, I still didn't really learn much about him even reading it. But anyway, we'll, we'll get there someday. Right? Maybe. Someday? Maybe. Not Sunday. Not Sunday. So should I read Al's next comment? Yeah, sure. Um, I really have no thoughts on Hulk this month, but here are a few random ones on Fantastic Four number nine. And this is a comment on episode nine, When a Fishman Loves a Woman. Considering what you had said about the first 20 or so issues being John Burns, all these guys have their names spelled wrong, main influence, I have to assume this issue was the influence on his Namor series. In that series, Namor's great wealth comes from knowing where all the sunken treasure is. That sounds like Superman. Mike, I agree with you that I prefer to see that once superheroes show up, the world changes. Sometimes it's negative, like in Watchmen, and sometimes it's positive, like how futuristic Metropolis becomes after the Y2K story. Reed Richards will try to cure cancer, and the death of Captain Marvel graphic novel doesn't go very well. The fact that this movie is being done without a plot or script is strange to me, too. Did they still show newsreels and other shorts in the early 60s? Maybe it was supposed to be a movie like that, more of a documentary. Well, I mean, the FF thought it was weird that there was no script also, didn't they? I can't remember now. But they just went along with it. Very gullible. Right. And, yeah, Namor's I, – I I haven't read a whole lot of ongoing Namor. And I guess this whole John Byrne Namor series, I'm going to have to read at one point and see what it's all about. There's, there isn't a lot of ongoing Namor. That's probably about it, right? I mean – I mean, there's a Tales to Astonish run. That and becomes, his Golden Age era, I guess, but – yeah. His Golden Age series, his Telesonic series that becomes his, you know, first ongoing series in the Silver Age. And then I think Namor goes away for like 10 years. I yeah. mean, I guess if – because people do do this for a living, this treasure hunting business, right? Right. I saw a thing on it the other day. So they're still doing it. At least they're looking for art and stuff like that. So I guess if you're Submariner or Superman or Aquaman or people who can just – not care about drowning and can move very fast, then sure. Why can't you just be rich? Especially if you're super strong. And like Superman and Superboy and Supergirl, they like make it a habit of just like scanning the area and saying, Hey, what if there's any treasure down there? I can turn into money for this purpose that I have. I mean, it's not stealing, right? Those things are long dead and nobody owns it. I assume. I don't know how that works. Anyway, scavenging, salvaging. Yeah. Um, so what's next? Let's see. We got one from we Tim. Do? You want to do another comedy? You want to change over to Twitters? How about Angus, Angus Livingston? Is that the next one? Uh, the next one I have for comments is Tim Price. Oh, well, why don't, I don't have that, I guess. Oh, do I, I have, have one? July 14th, Angus Livington, Heroes Killing DC versus Marvel Controversy. That sounds pretty juicy. Oh, is that an email or a comment? Yeah, that's an email. Oh, oh you're in the emails. Oh. 
It yeah, changed sorry. screens on me, Mike. Sorry, I have them all on the same screen. So, uh, okay, well, I'm super fancy. Bring, uh, bring on the emails. All right, here's a good, long, juicy one about killing and stuff. I guess. Um, hey guys, love the podcast. It's the podcast I look forward to more than any other every week, and I'm very thankful for the podcast suggestions you guys have given for other comic book related podcasts. Awesome, because we get a commission. <laughs> I wanted to give my two cents in the whole argument in regards to why DC heroes seem to get crapped on by critics and viewers while the same critics and viewers seem to let Marvel heroes slide. I believe the reason why DC heroes get attacked more are that the characters have been around forever and many have since the 1940s declared that killing is wrong and that they follow their moral code in regards to their battles against criminals. This declaration has kind of been a part of their DNA as characters since then, and I believe that because they've been around decades longer than many Marvel characters, there is more of a protective nature around them. So when you see someone like Superman snapping Zod's neck or Batman indiscriminately killing criminals, it makes a lot of fans feel like they aren't following the core of the characters, even if some of those heroes have pasts that have moments where they have killed. Whereas where Marvel is involved, many of Marvel's heroes have actually had the debate of whether they should kill their villains right there on the page. We can see them in all their flawed human glory, weigh the pros and cons of committing murder if it means saving a life later. This kind of writing didn't appear in many DC comic books until the 70s and 80s, where in Marvel, a teenage Peter Parker is debating this very thing once the Green Goblin discovers his identity. I also believe that many of Marvel's heroes are characters who are faced with the prospect of committing murder more often in their day-to-day life. Captain America is a soldier. Tony Stark was an arms manufacturer. Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. are all government operatives. Misty Knight was a cop. Logan is, well, Logan. Okay, pause there. (sighs) Whoa. Okay. It's an interesting point that Marvel characters have sat there and talked about whether or not they would kill, whereas DC characters seem to be more, like, declarative. Mm -hmm. Which I think is part of the heart of the difference between DC and Marvel is DC heroes do things a certain way because that's the way they do things. And Marvel characters tend to do things a certain way because their human foibles drive them to that point. And that's a really big glossing paintbrush that isn't necessarily always true, but that's kind of a trend. Yeah, I mean, I the Golden Age DC I've read is Batman, mm-hmm. as, as people will probably know. And at least the first couple of years, he killed, not necessarily like, I don't know, it was like collateral killing in a way, you know. A lot of people bring up, oh, Batman used to shoot people with a gun. Not really. He had a gun a couple times, but he didn't really straight up shoot anybody. Um, And then at some point, I think when the editor got changed from Vincent Sullivan to Whitney Ellsworth, or was his name? Was it Whitney Ellsworth? Something like that. Anyway, that guy put down the law. These heroes, this is for kids. These heroes don't kill. And suddenly, Batman is very blue and happy and Robin's happy and no chum, we never kill. The only other golden age I've ever read is Captain America, and I can't recall a single, you know, conversation about right. that. And I do remember issues where, like, he and Bucky were pushing rafts full of dynamite to submarines and blowing them up and high fiving. So, you know, which also kind of makes sense for Captain America because ostensibly yeah. he's fighting a war, right? Yeah, and I never got to Batman in that era, like when he uh, is selling war bonds on covers and whether or not he actually participates in wars. I don't know. I never read that far yet. Well, as far as Superman goes, um, Superman was, of course, much more rascally and and violent than Batman was in the early days. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there's at some point a sentiment that Superman needed to be brought into line with more goody characters like Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Everyone knows that Superman has a code against killing. But Superman didn't start talking about how he has a code against killing until, like, just before 1970. Okay. And it's funny because he only has that code against killing whenever mentioning it plays into how the story is going to work. Because the very next issue, he can kill an alien. <laughs> well, those don't count. Yeah. But, right. like, like, it's not that he will punch a normal human in the face and bash his brains into the carpet. But, but, but like, you know, you get these stories that involve alien monsters and, um, you know, other extraterrestrial forces. And Superman's like, no, I can't take a life in one issue. And the next issue is like, yeah, let's just find a way to disperse their atoms. <laughs> you know, and it's just, yeah, the code against killing is so inconsistent. And yet, because he said it a few times, like so many things about comics, it happens a few times and it becomes the thing that is. I think when we talked about this in that episode, whichever one this one is, and I don't remember, um, it was mostly Superman and Batman who get this flack, I think. Because mm-hmm. I think if, like, you know, there was a DC Lobo movie, no one would care if he was killing anybody. Right. Um, and of course, Deadpool is out there slicing people up. And conversely, like, if Spider-Man cracks somebody's neck, I think the world would go crazy too. Yeah. So it just depends. It's more like character to character. I guess when I brought it up, it was about Iron Man because I haven't read Iron Man a lot, a lot of his solo work. And I just wasn't sure if he ever was the guy who did the whole, I don't kill people thing. Maybe he isn't. I don't know. He hasn't, he killed one guy so far in his origin issue. Um, but otherwise he hasn't, but I don't know if he goes around like Batman and Superman, just with that moral code of certainty. Yeah, I guess I not. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, he goes on to say, also, I like to tag up on Michael's question as to why critics were so quick to bash BVS and MOS as opposed to something like Iron Man in terms of stories where heroes clearly kill their enemies. Iron Man's story on the page is not that far removed from his story on the screen. When he kills in that scene or subsequent scenes in the movie, it tends to follow what he did in his origin. And I think that is why fans are more forgiving of him. I think they also relate to Tony as he is just a man using his gifts to do best he can in the situation he's in. If you were kidnapped by a terrorist organization, you might end up killing the leader too. If it meant that you might not be captured again with Superman. I think audiences find it harder to relate to him. I really don't get why myself. He's as human as anyone raised on this planet is and think of him as someone who should be better. And when they see him commit murder on the page or on the screen, I think people want to see him do better than humanity would. So yeah, there that's where you're, getting into it's a character by character more than DC versus Marvel. Yeah. And I can see what he's saying there. And, and it, it's the thing about Superman that, that I tend to hear. Um, and when it comes to, go ahead, when it comes to part of it in my mind comes down to stories versus reality. Cause in reality, I'm a pacifist and in stories, you know, I, I think we can explore the questions more. Of course. So doing better than humanity would, well, better is a really interesting term. <laughs> and yeah. like, um, if you have an unstoppable global threat, is not killing it better? Yeah, what's to, moral to let to kill one person to save a hundred, or to let one guy live so that he could kill a hundred? You know, I mean, right? That's that argument. And by the way, my take on that from someone who's not John Wilson or Michael Bailey or you know 
somebody who's done a Superman podcast is that it's okay that he does that as long as afterward he screams and cries about it. Which if he high, yeah, if he high fived Lois afterwards and they all went that was close, then I would have a problem with it. Right, but he hated it, so that's and you okay. Have done a Superman podcast. You oh. were New Fifty Two Adventures with me for like four hour episodes, right? Okay, then I am an authority, so you have to listen to me. Um, <laughs> next, because it continues, I myself have conflicting feelings about the end of Man of Steel and Batman's seemingly homicidal tendency is in BBS. The conclusion that I've come to is that as long as the characters are consistent in their choices, I'll go with the story. It's why I can absolutely roll with Henry Cavill's Superman, but have issues with Ben Affleck's Batman. Superman's killing of Zod is something he did, committed to, and had lived with. Moving forward, he knows he will deal with life and death decisions every day and he will be more open to alternative options if they're possible. Batman, however, has no problem killing random weapons, smugglers, or kidnapping, but somehow the Joker is still alive in this universe despite the clown prince of crime killing Robin. This, to me, is hugely problematic. If crossing that line isn't a problem for a smuggler, but he won't kill a psychotic serial killer who killed his adopted son, and yet he's absolutely willing to kill the man who stopped Zod from leveling all of Metropolis because a friend of his died. It makes him as crazy as any of the nut jobs he's locked up in Arkham. So that so, reminds me of Detective Comics number 28. Okay. What happened to Detective Comics 28? I'm glad you asked. What happened? It's called uh, Frenchie Blake's Jewel Gang. And Batman goes around killing Frenchie Blake's gang. Like he tosses one dude straight up off of a skyscraper just so he can get attention of the cops, you know, so they can see him. Rob fake, quote unquote, rob the, the jewelry or hold the jewelry bag and get away because he wanted Ju- Frenchie Blake to think that he was a criminal. And then in the end, he just ties up Frenchie Blake and drops him off at the police station. But it's like at the time we podcasted about that on Legends of the Batman, BatmanLegends.com. And we were just like, how come he can kill these dudes who don't matter? But Frenchie Blake, he, he doesn't just snap his neck and move on. So that's the problem with Batman killing is he can't have reoccurring villains. And – I would also want to point out that we don't know. He's just talking about the DCEU mm-hmm. and in the DC expanded universe, Joker killed Robin, um, mm-hmm. but Joker's still alive. And why did a Batman who's willing to kill leave Joker alive? For one, we don't know the story in that universe of Batman's and Joker's encounter at that time. Uh, we we don't. don't know if Batman, you know, was even able to get to the Joker ever uh, after that. Also, the Batman in that movie who's indiscriminately killing, who's shooting, you know, and, 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 and branding and everything else is a very broken person. One of the whole points of Batman versus Superman is that the Batman at the beginning of that movie is no longer the Batman that we know. He has gone beyond and down into a pit of, you know, sad, pathetic humanity, which... Superman helps him to come out of by the end of the film. So anyways, um, there's just, there are a few reasons there why there might be some inconsistencies in his approach, but we just don't know the story. Yeah. Not to keep dwelling on DC and a Marvel podcast, but now I'm curious, does that mean does suicide squad definitely take place after Batman versus Superman? Yeah. Cause oh. they bring the suicide squad together because Superman's dead. Okay. But the flashback scenes, we don't know when those took place necessarily. Of him capturing Harley Quinn. Oh, Joker got away in that scene. So never yeah. mind. So yeah, we don't know. Maybe he was trying to kill him. And maybe he doesn't kill women. Maybe he's chivalrous or something still in his cold-bloodedness. I don't know. And also, it's not really fair to say 
Superman's okay and Batman isn't because Superman's going to have to live with this and deal with it as he moves forward because we never saw that. So that's just you throwing that on the plot that isn't there. Anyway, to conclude, he says, Oi, I went off a bit of a tangent. Sorry. My point is all this being, I guess, that as long as the character portrayed on the screen or the page is consistent and not changing every 15 seconds to serve the plot or the writer's whim, much like Lee and Kirby on the first six Hulk issues, <laughs> I think fans will roll with it. I think many people carry too much baggage from Chris Reeve going into Man of Steel as well, but that's another tangent for another email to another podcast. Feel free to edit the hell out of this if you want. Oh, now he tells us to read any <laughs> of it on air or disregard entirely. Just wanted to email in and thank you both for creating a wonderful podcast with lots of great talking points to myself and my nerdy coworkers and toss in my thoughts on your thoughts. If that makes any sense, much love and excelsior. Dun, dun, dun. Well, thank so you for cool writing one. in. Yeah, that was a cool one. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. But that's, that's fine. I think we've talked enough about DC. Flowing. Yeah. All right. Um, should I read the next email or sh- or what do you want to do? Um, 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 yeah. Read Kevin Ewig, episode fourteen. I right? think it's more. I think it's more Ewing, but yes. Ewing, sorry. Yes. Um, in episode fourteen, Michael asks if a hero has ever been more than one hero at the same time. Oh, because we're talking about like wearing different costumes on different days. Yeah. In the late 90s, the Spidey titles did just that. I have not read this story. In a storyline called Identity Crisis, Norman Osborn put out a large bounty on Spider-Man for a murder that Spidey did not commit. To throw everyone off his trail, Spidey created four new identities. And for a couple issues each, Spider-Man title at the, at the time dealt with the exploits of one of those new identities. These four identities were eventually adopted for use by people other than Spider-Man. Um, I didn't know that. I thought those four identities were just four different heroes. No, I knew that. I forgot about that. And then they got their own book. Which is kind of crazy. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I feel like Mike Wyringo had something to do with all that, but I can't remember now. My 90s Spider-Man reading goes up to maximum carnage and then Mm. stops. Just like everybody else's. (laughs) And then Clone Saga in isolation because I just, I decided to read the Clone Saga. So I started with, you know power of responsibility and read till Spider-Man 75 and then nothing else. So I'm currently working through the nineties again. So eventually I will have read all that, but not yet. And Kevin Ewing closes with also major props to John on the astronaut tie into amazing Spider-Man one. Hooray. Yay. Yeah. That was a good one. I was excited about that. And he says, he signs off regards, Kevin Ewing, because we made the star Wars joke. Oh, Ewing. Yeah. So that's why I called him Kevin Ewing. Um, so what do you want to do next? Should we well, do some Twitter this, or yeah, I had this long list of Twitter comments. I'm going to go through some of these. Go for it. So, um, one of our friends on Twitter is swinging through Spider-Man, which is a podcast that I really enjoy. It's at Spidey podcast. And the gentleman over there congratulated us on our mission and have talked us up several times the last few months. Um, they've recently finished their coverage of the Ditko issues of amazing Spider-Man and they're ah. moving into the Romita run. Oh, so, I'm so um, jealous. Yes. I mean, I like Ditko too, but I'm excited about Ramita someday. Someday. So yeah, they're just, they just have said several little things over the, over the months and we love it when they say nice things about us. So thank you. Swinging through Spider-Man. Uh, Lori Suto says, hi guys, been enjoying the podcast. I used to have a lot of the late seventies Marvel pocketbooks that collected some of the early stories. This brings me back. 
those three Spider-Mans and the two Doctor Strange pocketbooks were my phase. Ditko-tastic. Sweet. I never had the I, Doctor Strange ones. I don't, I don't think I know what a pocketbook is. Really? Well, I mean, I know what one is, but I didn't know there were Marvel pocketbooks, I guess. Yeah. Um, just a little, you know, standard size paperbacks. Because uh, the first three of those were what collected the 20 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. That's where I got my start. Oh, I always thought it was a trade you were talking about. So they're like no, tinier, no, they're like tinier versions. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I mean, everything's like the the comic pages are actually really tiny on the page because it's all shrunk down to like your standard hand sized paperback. Hmm. Wow. Um, Is that even readable? Yeah. Wow. Barely. But you know, <laughs> I, had, glass? I had child eyes. I had perfect vision. So it's like you know, I don't know if I'd be able to do it now. Well, now we do it on our phone. So what's the difference? <laughs> At least I do. Pinch and zoom. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Kevin Ewing says, listening to the feedback show in Wild, it could be cool if my last name were a Star Wars starfighter. It has more in common with the TV show Dallas. That said, I think any other feedback shows I mentioned on should definitely use the starfighter pronunciation. Okay, so it's Kevin Ewing from now on. All right. That's easy. It's easy enough. Um, and Jason Venable writes, so. With no obvious physical ailment, what is the defining characteristic of Dr. Blake's lameness? Well, as a child, he suffered a serious butt injury. So medically speaking, Don Blake is lame-ass. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> but okay, let's uh, go with it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, let's throw one more in here for good measure. Professor Adam Middleton writes, and he's at the relatively geeky network of podcasts, relatively geeky. Um, I think.com. He says, regarding Al Hartley drawing Thor, there was a comment about Thor drawn like Archie. Well, a few years ago, Tom DeFalco wrote that story for Archie and he sent us, uh, he linked a picture of this, Archie dressed up as Thor and it has like the big R on his chest because it's Riverdale. And, um, but he also wow. has like the wing helmet and the hammer and I'm trying to find it so I can link it to you. But yeah, uh, evidently th- here we go. Um, click this and copy image and, uh, go over to Skype. And if only I could show this to the viewers, not the viewers, listeners, but here we go. Type a message. I remember – oh, here we go. I remember Archie, like, crossing over with the Punisher. So they must have been doing Marvel stuff at some point, huh? Yep, there he is. Yeah. The color scheme is all wrong, but he looks very – he looks very much like a riff on Marvel Thor. Although he looks a lot better, so I wish whoever drew this had drawn that issue. But, oh, well. Yeah, because that Al Hartley Thor was was was, was something Pretty horrible. Else. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Email or Website. Uh, let's do, uh, I don't know how to say his guy's name either. Demer, Demar, Demer, Demer, Web, D-E-M-E-R. You got that? On the, uh, uh, emails, right? Yeah. July 22nd says great show. Okay. So we have, yeah. Demer Web. Hey guys, I just discovered your show about a week ago. And let me say, this is exactly what I've been looking for for a long time. I love being exactly what people are looking for. Yeah. I've been on the hunt for a podcast that makes that takes me through the wonders of the Marvel Universe starting at the beginning and just walking us through with commentary, analysis, and information in a fun and entertaining way. And you guys deliver. I love delivering. 
Also, I do favor the older comics over the newer, and so it's nice to find something that includes the classics. There was a fun innocence to them that is superior to the newer, darker, brooding, trying too hard to be edgy, taking ourselves too seriously, not family-friendly comics. I mean, they're friendly to my family. My son loves, like, modern Harley Quinn comics. He doesn't well, get all of the vagina jokes, but he, uh, he loves the comics. Well, she's got to be fun, right? That's her whole reason for existence. Yes, yes. It is actually very, very fun. But she has this um, dead, stuffed zombie beaver that she talks to, and she's always talking about, you know, talking to her beaver and, and playing with her. Anyways, so those are over Keenan's head, but that's okay. Still fun. Uh, Mr. Webb says, I am playing catch up and listened to about three episodes or so just out doing yard work yesterday. Just your recaps of the comics alone are funny and entertaining. I love your sense of humor and how, though you clearly love Marvel, you have no problem in a respectful way poking fun of the absurdities of the, some of these stories. Magnets and commies? Again? <laughs> I also appreciate the occasional historical details you bring. I never realized at one time Marvel and DC shared the same printing company, or the reasons why Marvel at first didn't do straight-up superhero stories. Anyway, outstanding job, and I could listen to you guys for hours on end. I hope you are finding it fun enough to keep it up for a long time. One suggestion. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Would you consider making your show a little more family-friendly in regards to language and content? <laughs> as, as he requests as you talk about Harley Quinn's Vagina Beaver. Okay, yeah. So, um, for the most part, I think you are, but every <laughs> once in a while you push the envelope. I'd like to listen to this show with my kids, especially my eight-year-old, as, <laughs> as I'm just now beginning to introduce into the beginnings of the Marvel Universe thanks to a subscription to Marvel Digital Unlimited. There have been a couple of times I've heard some crude language, maybe even an F-bomb once. And a very crude sexual comment in regards to Sue Storm and Submariner. I was pretty disappointed with that and glad my kids weren't listening at the time. I think you guys are very talented and entertaining. Maybe other podcasts may need to rely on that sort of stuff, but you guys can easily weave together a fun and entertaining show without any of that stuff. There's plenty to talk about without going in that direction. Anyway, just a thought. It may increase your listenership if you are more mindful of that. Anyway, I look forward to you continuing to be our tour guide through the Marvel Universe. Good job, guys. Make ours Marvel. John, what do you have to say for yourself? Um, I, I mean... Because <laughs> we know he's talking about you. It can't be me. <laughs> it can't be you. You never say anything inappropriate. No. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have a nine-year-old boy and a 16-year-old girl. I, um, I, I, I taught them how to use profanity. So, yeah, your approach to nine year olds and 16 year olds are a lot is different than a lot of people, I think. Maybe. Um, I but I honestly, to defend you, maybe, or, you know, whatever, I know sometimes we let things slip, but we did come to this show with the idea of it not being adult. I don't think we've even tagged it as adult in like no. iTunes or whatever. Um, and I, you know, if, you, if you've heard what I sound like in real life, you'll know that I'm holding back quite a bit of profanity because. Mm -hmm. Usually it's like every other word or so. Um, and yeah, I'm unfortunately I just occasionally stuff gets in, I guess, but and that, it's not it, really the goal. Yeah. We, we want to be a family friendly show. I think we are well within the boundaries of a PG 13 rating. Uh, usually the vast majority of the time it's PG. Um, I don't think we rely on any sort of stuff. I think just, you know, whatever comes to our mind, it comes to our mind at any given point in time. And that's just kind of the way the show goes. Um, also, that the George Carlin things you can't say on television, like half of that's sayable now. So, right, I think we're just living in a world where people just say bad words now. And there's always the whole thing like you can't hide your kids from the world. 
You got to yeah. prepare them for the world and help them get through the world, not keep them from the world. Yeah. At least that's my approach to parenting, not telling anyone else how to raise their kids. Totally why I cuss in front of my children all the time. Right. They got to learn somehow. I mean, really, there's only one word, technical term, for children whose parents were not married when they were conceived, and you just got to tell them what they are sometimes. And No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't even know why that came into my brain. Let's keep going, shall we? Okay. Return of the Voice, Trey Hooks. Trey. Okay, this one's directed at me, and when I read this the first time, I got really sad that he totally schools me. But here we go. I'm going to out myself. Hey guys, I love it when you're able to pack a lot of smaller stories into a single episode. I wanted to give more information on the Ant-Man villain discussed from Tales to Astonish number 42, The Voice. John said his next appearance was in the 30s of West Coast Avengers, but Michael has probably read about him before being a Captain America fan, being a Captain America fan and not recognize or remember him. The Voice, along with Machine Smith and Crossbones, was part of the Red Skull skeleton crew. It was in the late 80s Captain Marvel run by Mark Grenwald in the 360s, which was concurrent with Acts of Vengeance. And I totally remember that once I read this email. Uh-huh. I just didn't connect the two because in Ant-Man, he's a dude in a straw hat. And in Captain America 360, he's got this like robotic suit. And it's got like a speaker in front of his mouth and he's like way tall and stuff. So, yeah, looks totally different. Just like a lot of these 60s villains end up looking different. But, uh, yeah, missed that one. So thank you, Trey. He was probably out of commission for so long that he had to get a new suit. Yeah. And in the voice, he was just, like, dressed like like an 1890s soapbox speaker right. or something, right? Yeah, but then the same you could be said about Trapster and um, Dude, Pace Trapster Pot. was – Pace yeah, Pot. Yeah. Pete, they don't have costumes either. And then they eventually get them. Okay. So should I read his In Defense of the Vulture? Yeah. Boy, he's really well, out for me, huh? He's coming after you. Trey is out for Kaiser blood. Trey Hooks writes in Defense of the Vulture, episode 18. While the Vulture is older, I think people underestimate him when they say he just flies. Because that's Angel. The Angel just flies, right? Yeah, and I've said that about both of them. While Spider-Man is very agile, he can't turn on a dime in the air. He swings essentially in a single direction from point A to point B. If he wants to change direction, he has to spin a second web line to provide the resistance for him to pull and swing in a different direction. In the air, he's a sitting duck for the vulture who has much better aerial maneuverability. He has to pin him somehow like he does in this story. I do think Stan and others agree with Mike because they have made a couple of attempts to replace Adrian Toomes, but none of them have the same visual flair. You talked about his beaked nose, now he carries himself, which completes the look. And when Romita comes on the book and they do replace the vulture with a younger version in the same costume, it isn't as effective of a design. And yet that's the design that made it into the cartoon series. You never stop a man with wings. <laughs> I remember that design. Didn't he have like red hair? And- Only had a red hair. He had like a, a skull cap of the same green. Mm. But um, there might have been another episode that had red hair. Anyways, that doesn't convince me because fine, you can turn faster than Spider-Man, but you still punch him with an 80 year old fist and all he has to do is flick you once and you should be dead. But nice try. Nice try. (laughs) Okay. um, Do you want to read the one from Tim? Tim Price writes late, but loving the show. So as long as you love it, we don't care if you're late. Um, As usual, I'm not catching the show from the beginning. But it's been great fun. This is certainly an ambitious project, and you're doing a great job. Always look forward to the next episode. 
just for fun, and he puts this in quotes, so brace yourself, I wanted to add some thoughts to your discussion from episode 14 about superheroes and lethal force, which was fascinating. I am not an expert. I have not done research. So far, you fit right in, buddy. But I'm a random guy on the internet with a keyboard, which is the most important thing, right? That's how we do it. That's exactly what we do. <laughs> um, so, yes, many Marvel characters use lethal force over the years without much public outcry. But DC characters doing so becomes controversial. I'll focus on Superman so your hosting provider doesn't jack up your storage rates. Although it applies equally to Batman, Wonder Woman, and others. Yes, early Superman killed on occasion. Most fans and creators state Superman should never kill and it violates the character to do so. How do we reconcile that? Here's what I consider the usual evolution of a character. Stories matching the tone of the time, the audience written for, the business reality. All of these things change over time. But even those don't completely explain the situation. When Superman debuted, the initial depiction of the character rarely lasted or rarely needed to last. In those early stories, were the writers really concerned about continuity 80 years later? Of course not. They were just writing stories. Nowadays, being prepared for continuity in comics comes with the territory. But the pioneers couldn't know that. And they couldn't know the incredible longevity of the stories they started. I'm not Any entirely ideas on sure. That? Yeah, not entirely sure where he's going with that. Maybe he'll clarify in a minute. It's like, okay, whether Siegel was writing for 80 years or 80 days, he created a Superman. And he told stories about that Superman. And yeah, he sort of changed about his Superman as he went through the next couple of decades. But maybe, maybe he means like when they were writing these characters back in the day, their commitment to things weren't as precious. Their, their identity wasn't so set in stone because it's like, they weren't franchise characters yet. They weren't making billions of dollars for a company. And I don't know. Yeah, you could just yeah, write maybe. whatever you wanted. But also at the same time, it's like they still came up with characters. They still said, okay, who is this guy? What's he like? What's he going to do? Oh, he's going to toss that guy off a building because, you know, why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's the a, Superman. He's going to tear people up. Yeah. Um, and I think it's totally conceivable. They could have kept on doing that for any number of years. It's mm-hmm. just whoever it was that makes these decisions decided, you know what? Let's tone this back a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So let's see if he clarifies or anything. Further, for those first superheroes, they had to endure something later ones didn't. Wortham's seduction of the innocent. Leading to the witch hunt of comics, creating the Comic Code Authority, self-censorship, and a sheer fight for survival of the medium. With that, the characters and stories tend to unnaturally change. Grim Gritty turned into Silver Age Silly, but that's how it had to be in order for these characters to survive. So that's definitely something Marvel... Well, Marvel just tanked completely, but like they don't have a couple decades worth of you know Captain America having fantasies about marrying Sharon Carter and having a super baby and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, They don't have any of those. They just jump right to real and, stories again. Um, yeah, the 50s were an odd time because you do get um, this period of time. And I've read all the Superman comics in the 1950s. And there's a period of sameness that sets in, which mm-hmm. is a lot of the same kinds of story. And there are, you know, exceptions, of course. Um, I think a lot of the cool silliness of the Silver Age comes from an effort to be more imaginative within the realms and within the confines. Like, okay. We can't tell simple crime stories anymore. Crime stories in this context and in these confines get really boring really fast. So let's do space. Let's do, you know what? He found a cousin. He has t- friends in the future that he can go visit. 
uh, Batman's going to go fight aliens on the planet, you know, Zog. And it's all this stuff he's thrown in, all the drama with Batman. Is he going to marry Batwoman? Is, is Robin going to marry Batgirl? All that stuff. So um, a lot of the imagination that made the Silver Age the awesome era that it was for comics came out of mm-hmm. that that restriction. Well, a lot of Superman fans grew up reading that. And mm-hmm. that that to them is their Superman, the imaginary tales and the Kurt Swan and the and the extinguishing suns by blowing really hard, you know. That's Superman to them. So anyway, the interesting effect on Superman in particular was it challenged the writers slash artists to reevaluate the character rather than chafe under the creative restrictions. And this is the version that persists until today. The original stories are interesting artifacts of the prehistory, but continuity truly began with the Silver Age in a lot of ways, and that's what all Superman stories are measured against. So that's how I think Superman's code against killing really stems from. However, from a character standpoint, I've always liked it and defend it. Superman can easily kill, and that's why he doesn't. Superman equals right makes might. Um, The Marvel heroes can be a lot more gray as they debuted after the... I don't That's know what selection, oh, selection of the innocent controversy. Uh, I don't think lethal force makes them any less moral. It just something. It's just something which their character allows. And Marvel stories usually have consequences from killing, so it's rarely handled lightly. Anyway, if any of that makes sense and you managed to read all of it, thanks for indulging me again. Big kudos for the show. See you next episode. Same Marv time, same Marv channel. Um. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that I, I agree with. Um, I I have to stop myself from being too pedantic because it's like I've read all this stuff. And mm-hmm. so I, 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 I'm very, very familiar with the shape of things. And I know that a lot of people kind of tend to have impressions and gloss and that's that's fine. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, um, Superman can easily kill. He usually doesn't. There are a lot of exceptions. And the exceptions tend to get forgotten because of the rules. Yeah, but if you made a uh, pivot table on every story of all time versus every story that involves him killing, that dot would be very, very, very small on the chart, I imagine. Well, relatively speaking. Relatively speaking. Yeah, it'd be insignificant. But I don't know. I can't solve your DCU, DMC. What the heck is it called? DCEU? DCEU. Okay. I'm not, I'm just not here for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. a different show. Um, so then we have, is it another one from yeah. Tim? Uh-huh. Is it called Spider-Man 2? It sure is. Okay. Which, which is weird because we haven't covered Spider-Man 2. Or did we? Amazing Spider-Man 2 we covered. The issue with the vulture. Oh, I was thinking movie for some reason. Not Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Gwen Stacy. No, no, no. Okay. I've only seen that movie once. and I don't know why I haven't seen that like 75 times because I love that Spider-Man. I think because when the number sign is missing, it just makes me think it's a movie. Spider-Man 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Now it makes sense. Okay. So Tim says, what's that? Questions about Spider-Man? Well, sit back, true believers. I might be able to help with that. Or just make up stuff. What's the diff? Does the spider sense only detect when Peter's in danger? The lame answer is it depends on what the writer wants in the story. However, there have been several stories where the spider sense warns him that someone might see him leaving his apartment, putting his secret identity at risk. During the 80s, one of those risks was a trio of young ladies that liked to sunbathe on the roof. Probably not a physical danger, but hey, I don't judge. Still, exposing his identity might be a danger, but I leave it to more Peter's focus being, I don't want to be seen right now. 
as explaining why the spider sense triggers in that situation. Um, yeah, because define danger, right? right. It's all, I, th- it's, I imagine it's a personal definition for him. I think part of what might be happening here is that sometimes whenever you and I ask questions and talk about how things work, we're talking in the context of what's been revealed so far. Like, when we say, how does Spidey's spider sense work? We mean, like, how have we seen it work in our first eight issues that we've discussed? Not necessarily, uh-huh. how does it always work? Well, in his defense, I did ask you, this is about the, the uh, chameleon story. Uh-huh. And we were trying to, he was describing it weird in the story. He was saying, my spider sense is picking up a signal or something like that from, like, the radio, Right. Right, And so we were trying to retcon that to mean it's just danger because it's a bug. And then I think uh, I asked you, would modern Spider-Man, would his spider sense go off if there was a bug in his apartment? And then we kind of theorized back and forth whether that would happen or not. Okay. So okay. he's trying to answer that for us. And I think that's what we came up with also, that, yeah, if his, sen- if his secret identity is in danger, it goes off. And I did love the era, Tim, of – whenever those three women were always sunbathing on his roof. And he, like he had this top floor apartment with the sunroof where mm-hmm. he could just go out and turn into Spider-Man and swing away. And these neighbor girls who, by the way, were really big flirts and were always in their bathing suits and were basically just really waiting for Peter to come over and play with them. Uh, they were always going up on the top to sunbathe and he could not turn into Spider-Man and go out that way. Or come home. Um, <laughs> or come home. I think that was the Mrs. Mulligan um, landlady era. Yeah, fun stuff. Tim says, how does his wall crawling work? One explanation was that it's a powerful amount of static electricity. This is actually used against Spider-Man in issues 134 to 136 of Spectacular Spider-Man when Electro absorbed the electricity and Spidey wasn't able to stick to walls, which is a super important power to have while fighting guy who throws lightning bolts. Uh, so that question came from the Vulture issue, I think. Same issue, uh-huh. I guess. Spider-Man 2. Well, Chameleon was number one, but we might have had some Spidey's Not Chameleon, number two. the Tinkerer. Tinkerer. So Spider, so Vulture and Tinkerer were in the same issue number two, right? It was a two-story. Yeah. Okay, so in that one, he got thrown down a well, and I was asking how his sticky works because it was a wet wall and he couldn't climb up it. Mm-hmm. And I think later on, that shouldn't be an issue for him, but I don't know. I think also the wall was super slimy because you have all of the, like, you know, creepy crawly algae stuff that develops... Whenever yeah. water is stagnant over time. Yeah. So that's super gross, by the way, to think yeah. of trying to climb up that and having to squidge through the squidge. Yeah. That's all I can remember of spider questions. Hope you enjoyed my answers. Oh, hey, did you guys ask about comments in the original comics letter pages? I wasn't able to write this after listening and could be confusing this with another show. Ouch. A friend of mine learned the hard way that the comics did not always print people's entire letter. He wrote a long letter once and they printed one sentence from it. That is some pretty harsh editing, but somewhat justified considering the space allowed for letters. Can't have one person co-opting the entire column. My irony sense is tingling, but I don't know why. <laughs> oh, because he's written a long letter. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough keeping up, but I love the show. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I never even thought about it when I was a kid. But yeah. the amount of editing that they do to people's letters has got to be crazy. And again, it can't possibly reflect what they're actually getting because they're only printing three or four to six letters an issue. So were all the rest of them bad? Were they cherry picking the good ones? I mean, we don't know. We don't know. And I've seen issues of like Supergirl and stuff where the letters page is like literally half a page or less. Mm -hmm. So you squeeze one or two short letters with brief responses and that's your letters column. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. So thank you for writing, Tim. Um, and I hope that my occasional disagreements with your points don't throw you off from enjoying the show and continuing to write in with your thoughts. Conversations are a good thing. Did we disagree with him? I, 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 well, I don't know. Oh. I, I, I talked about some of his points in a way that might come across as being oh. contrarian. Oh. But I, I try really hard not to be pedantic, and it comes it doesn't always work. Can't take you anywhere. Um, yep. You want to do some more Twitter, or do you want to raid one more Tim Price and be done with Tim Price? Um, we're never done with Tim Price. Well, he's not done. Be friend. Done in mailbag two, and then he's going to write us some more, <laughs> and we'll have another Tim Price section. Um, What's that? Yeah. I'll, do you want to read this Read this last one? All right. I'll read it. It's called episode 20 and 21. So I think it's about episode 20 and 21. Hey, guys. I couldn't resist adding a couple of tidbits from episode 20 and 21 regarding the name of the comic, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, according to the book Stanley's Amazing Marvel Universe, which has audio clips, too, and they're a hoot. Stan and the publisher at that time, Martin Goodman, were disagreeing about why their books were selling so well. Stan said it was the stories. Martin thought it was the title of the comics. So Stan challenged Martin to let him publish a comic that is the worst title Stan could think of, and Stan would still get it and sell. Just, wow, would still get it to sell. And the rest is history. Yeah, I think we said we uh, talked about that. And yeah, how, being a super long title. Yeah. Uh, Thor making all of those hammers is hilarious. It reminds me of Odin's line in Thor Ragnarok, Did I make you the god of hammers? I guess he did. <laughs> well, he Did sure I make you the god of hammers. He sure acted that way in that issue. Like he couldn't function without a hammer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he uh, was able to have somebody to like, you know, sort of help control and govern the flow of all the hammers. Maybe he needed like an MC of hammers. <laughs> sorry. Ouch. I'm so sorry. Okay. Thing solo series, which spun out from the end of Marvel two and one covered his past. Staying on Secret Wars Battle World, returning to Earth and quitting the FF, and then moving to California to join the Ultimate Class Wrestling Federation. This was in 1986, so you'll probably get to it soon. Yeah, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Keep up the great work, gentlemen. I don't remember why we talked about Thing Solo Series, but yeah, he does have one, and I have read a little bit of it. I forgot that it stemmed from Secret Wars, though. That's kind of cool. Yeah, he stays on Battle World whenever they leave. It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's during the time when... Johnny hooks up with Alicia. That's why he did it, probably, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, except that Johnny also really likes that one girl on the planet. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But so does friggin' um, Colossus. I know. Like, Colossus comes home, and he and Kitty Pride break up over this. Because uh, he tells her. Yeah. yeah. So the whole classic Kitty and Peter, like lovey-dovey thing and she's super young and he's an older teenager and he you know he really likes her but tries to be proper about it all that like adorable classic relationship that lasted for a while in the comics is kind of what i always thought of with P- kitty and peter mm-hmm. it ends because he cheats on her with a friggin' alien in the secret world wars he tells her about it because he's an honest person and then they're <sighs> they're done for a long time yeah I like think only like time. until like uh, 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 who's the writer with John Cassidy and doing like the new X Men where the astonishing X Men where Scott doesn't have powers anymore and stuff. Oh, that was um, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon, yeah, I knew it was somebody big. I just couldn't remember. Yeah, like that's when that starts coming back. I think so. It was a long, many decades of them not being together. And for a lot of that time, Kitty is Excalibur, not X Men. Yeah, so that helped. And Colossus um, was dead. There's one from Trey. 
that we might have uh, skipped over because it came in weird about Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos. Okay. Uh, I can read that. And then we'll, I think we're almost out of emails. We got Rob we'll Kelly. And then I think that's it. Okay. I think Sergeant Fury, parentheses, and the Howling Commandos is probably Marvel's most underrated Silver Age title. Continuity in it is a bit weird. Stan and Jack and later Friedrich and Ayers pay attention to continuity from a character perspective, but not historically. There will be later stories set close to D-Day where characters who are here who aren't in the title at the time are missing and new characters not yet introduced are there. So I guess if you tried to line up the story, what he's saying is if you tried to line up the stories according to the calendar, it wouldn't make any sense for the characters. Well, because they had a D-Day flash forward in the first issue. Mm Mm-hmm. And so all the original cast of that issue were in that flash forward. And meanwhile, we've had a guy die. Right. Well, not as of this uh, airing, but yeah, as of our recording. Yeah. Yeah. And we weren't really sure. It doesn't really say when these stories take place before or after D-Day. So I guess before. Uh, Trey goes on to say, in my head continuity, Dino Morelli is Dean Martin. That's kind of what I thought, too. Uh, I remember whenever we did Avengers Inspirations, I linked him to Dean Martin. But I couldn't figure out what made me think that well because dean martin's uh, nickname is dino start- oh sorry dean martin's nickname is dino oh that's one okay reason. anyway though he wasn't a star during the war he was enlisted and served for a year before being discharged 4f maybe it was because of the draft but it was just accepted that actors weren't special and they did their duty like everyone else jimmy stewart clark gable henry fonda and tyrone power just as a few examples were all huge stars at the outbreak of the war who served awesome yeah um, and I like Sergeant Fury. I like our characters. I am lukewarm about it so far, but mm-hmm. I hope something happens. I don't know. But we've talked about that before already. We have. You want to do Rob Kelly? Yeah, let's knock out the last email, then we'll travel over to the other realms of feedback. Okay, this one is called Bonus Eps, and I have a feeling he's going to hit us up for some bonus eps. Um, love the show, as you know. I've always been enjoying... Oh, by the way, this is Rob Kelly, who does um, Fire and Water podcast about Submariner and Human Torch. So right. if anybody has never listened to that, go to Fire and Water Podcast Network, all about Human Torch and Submariner. Okay. Love the show, as you know. I've always been enjoying the bonus episodes, talking about the MCU movies, a nice way to bookend your look at Marvel's output. To that end, would you consider doing a bonus ep or two discussing in broad sense Marvel's non-superhero output in the 1960s? I'm talking the romance, western, and war comics they were also making at the time. Most people assume that superheroes were all Marvel was doing once the FF started, but of course that isn't true. I would love to hear you guys take a look at this other material and assess whether Marvel's gangbuster success with the new books spilled over into the ongoing older titles. Basically, I want more Make Ours Marvel episodes is what I'm saying. Thank you so much. What do you think on that? Well, so we're going to start a um, Patreon uh, account. (laughs) And for $100 a month, you too can hear our Western Romance and War Comic podcasts. But if you don't pay into it, you won't be able to hear it. Uh, Yeah, it comes down to, for me, the (laughs) fact that I don't know a lot about that. So there's... Yeah, there's two options. Either A, we cover it like we cover our superhero books, like a story or three every episode, and we now release two episodes a week, which sounds exhausting and impossible to me. Or we have like one special episode that just generally talks about all those books. And since I haven't read any any of them, I have no general 
knowledge of which to speak. Sadly. Sadly. Um, so I like the idea. I just don't know that I'm the guy to do it. Mm-hmm. But, so, uh, hey, if, so here's an idea. If yeah. anybody's listening and likes to do podcasts or has thought about doing a podcast and just needs a little bit of help, which we could help you with. If you wanted to do a sub-series of our show yourself about those comic books, we would list. We could list it on our site in the same stream and all that. That's just a thought. Have somebody else do it. License our, our, our brand. Yeah. Like we might have to, we have to get the, into our umbrella. We have to call a board meeting about that one. Yeah, I know. And see what the shareholders think. Yeah, I just said that out loud randomly, and maybe I shouldn't <laughs> have. But hey, it's an idea. Um, Josh Bertoni, you could finally do that uh, Patsy Walker podcast you've been talking about doing for a couple of years. Josh Bertoni read every single Patsy Walker comic book. Okay, so there you go. That would be perfect. Right? Yeah, why not? So that's fantastic. So um, put yeah, it on the spot. I don't, I don't know. It could happen, but Whatever. I don't know that I'll be doing it. No. Good idea. All right. And, and, and Rob, I'm glad you're enjoying the show. It makes me really happy that you're listening, and I hope that you continue to listen. And we were talking to Rob about joining him on his um, Treasury Comics mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. in the somewhat near future. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and I think that brings us to the end of the email list. Uh, should I go read some more Twitter comments? Sure. All right. Um, our resident Thor expert, Gene Hendricks, da 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 Gene writes, speaking of Thor's gauntlets, because we were speaking of Thor's gauntlets, Walter Simonson brought them in during the fight in Hell, which he sent a picture of with had Thor and like these huge yellow golden banded gauntlets. He says Roy Thomas also had them and the belt in his run where Red Norval used them to turn into a red bearded Thor, but they weren't full arm coverings then. So I guess all that to say that Thor's three different items of power, the hammer and the belts and the gauntlets, they do actually get used at different times. Awesome. I've only heard about the belt and the hammer, so. He also let us know also the cave and gamma ray projector for the Hulk. They come back later. Hmm. Like in Hulk 267, which just happens to be my first, excuse me, which just happens to be my first ever comic book. I do love that. Oh, the gamma projector? Okay. Yeah, like the one that um, like they used to zap Hulk into being, um, you know, Bruce Banner or not. But they smash all of that stuff okay. in the cave. I retract my partial sentence. I do not love that. Never mind. Okay. I, th- I thought he was talking about the uh, the cave where they like seal him in, like in the first oh. few issues, because that is a cool visual. But the the other room in the cave where he no, shoots no. himself to be on the Hulk map. No, that was silliness. So yeah, why'd, he, they, uh, why'd they bring that back? I think the cover of Hulk 267 actually has him like standing in front of the machinery like he did. Oy. Um, and so I told him that, yeah, because he – I'm pretty sure they smash all that equipment at some point later in the comics I've read that happened within a couple of years after the ones we've covered. And he says, well, that means that Banner would have to rebuild it somewhere along the line. This would be an interesting read. So I'm curious to see how Hulk continuity does with all of that. Yeah. Jason Venable points out the issue where Dr. Blake used the knowledge of Thor – Oh, I just paged down accidentally to operate on Sif. So Dr. Blake used the knowledge of Thor to operate on Sif, but Thor can't use the knowledge of Blake. So in issue 154, they had a part where Thor was not able to understand how to do an operation. He had to turn into oh. Dr. Blake to do it. That's bizarre. So after a hundred, yeah, after 75 issues, they still haven't figured out how to make Thor and Don Blake's brain work together. 
Weird. I was spe- speculating with him that like maybe Thor doesn't like have the capacity to understand the technical higher learnings of Dr. Blake, but that like Dr. Blake does have the capacity to understand what it is to be a warrior Thor. Just like well, like an intelligence level thing. I mean, it is a different body, so neurologically maybe. I don't know. That just got me thinking, like, does that mean that Odin made Thor suffer through medical school? Because, dang, that's a lot of wasted years. (laughs) I think, oh, my gosh, I just recently read the whole explanation. And there's a flashback panel where it shows when Dr. Blake first shows up. And I want to say it was either right at the beginning or right at the end of medical school. But he's on medical school campus whenever he first turns into Don Blake. Yeah, because he's not like a... He's not Don Blake from a baby. At some point, he just materializes, I guess. He does literally just show up on a sidewalk with hippies around him. But he has memories of childhood, I imagine. Or yeah. something. Anyway. Implanted memories. <sighs> Comics, kids. Right. Uh, there was also a very positive response to my confessions about Roger the Watcher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Back whenever I said I almost did a show where I was Roger the Watcher. Um, Gene Hendricks wants to know if he's related to Roger the Shrubber, who is a Monty Python character. Oh, okay. And Jason Venable says he needs more Roger the Watcher in his life. So, um, you know what? I, don't know. I think Roger the Watcher should do romance and Western subseries on our show. That's a great idea, there except that go. it's also me. Oh, <laughs> I, don't know those I thought it was a totally different guy. You had me fooled. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's the glasses. The glasses will fool you anytime. Yeah. Is audio medium. That's the wrong universe. Gene Hen- right. Gene Hendricks also lets us know that the Valkyries, because we're talking about the Valkyries, uh, they're the choosers of the slain. So they take half of the valiant dead to Valhalla after a battle. The other half is taken by Freya. They are warriors, but it's not their main duty. So we often think of Valkyrie as a warrior because of like, you know, the Barbara Morris character and um, the, you know, obviously more recent times, the Ragnarok character. But they're not actually usually warriors. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. They're just, they just carry the dead bodies of the pallbearers? I guess. I never knew that. I always thought they were the people riding winged horses with swords and stuff. I guess they have the winged horses and they have the swords if they need them, but usually they're just carrying the dead bodies. Eh. Do, they, do they have the bell? Bring out your dead. <laughs> Dong. Bring out your dead. I'm not dead yet. I What's feel that? happy. Says he's not dead yet. Uh, Eric Von Royer says, I'm love listening to you guys on Friday afternoons. Make a cherry on top of the work week. I'm happy to be the cherry on top of your week, Eric. I'm sure and, Michael likes making cherry too. And, and we actually record on Fridays, so we enjoy our, uh, our end of the week ritual as well. And Jason Venable asks, so if Reed Richards did invent a deep sea exploration vessel and it had AI, would it be the bombastic, scholastic, fantastabathoscath? <laughs> he says, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad uh, you had to read that out loud. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, do you remember when you couldn't remember the name of the movie? And yeah. like seven oh. people told you it was High Fidelity? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My God. Like, so... What were we even talking about? Was it because it, there was like a oh, scene we were talking in about, a comic shop? No, he sorts his record collection autobiographically. Oh, so okay. we, were, we were talking. I was asking if anybody had ever sorted their comics autobiographically or if you could. As in, you know, sort it by how you encountered it 
as opposed by, you know, alphabetically or something. Right, right. And, that but, was uh, high, yeah. and you couldn't remember the name of the movie. And- yeah, High Fidelity is about music and record. He owns a record store and he really likes records. So he was reorganizing his house to sort his albums autobiographically. I always thought that was really cool, but I don't think I could do that. Do we only call wireless internet Wi-Fi because it sounds like hi-fi? Maybe. And we just like to, like, uh, you know, truncate things. to That way I cannot remember what the heck it stands for. Because high fidelity stand, is, is hi-fi. And it means, like, you know, high-resolution audio, right? Very, very so. faithful something. I don't know. Yeah. But we also have Wi-Fi, which I don't even know what Wi-Fi stands for. Wireless some, but Wireless what's internet fi? fi. I don't know. Fiction? Wireless internet fidelity? Weird. That is an interesting question. Yeah. Wireless internet fiction. I like it. <laughs> um, Eric Von Royer says, I'm so glad that Janet is here. As for her age, personally, I call anyone under 25 a kid. Myself included until I was 26. So we always, uh, Henry is always calling her child when she's like actually a grown ass woman. Yeah, it's a little weird in my opinion, but. Ed Moore wants to know if we are sticking with Sergeant Fury or if it was a one off. Um, as of now, you have heard two Sergeant Fury episodes. We've recorded two more and you won't hear it for a while. But next week, Mike and I are recording issue five and Fury's going to get a recurring bad guy, which you have had spoiled for you. Yep. So I have. Sorry about that. I didn't say anything. It, it happens. It's okay. There's that schnicked guy, I think. Yeah. What's up, Venable? I need to stop. Twitter's f- not big enough for the three of us. I need to stop following people on Twitter who are doing 60s read-throughs. Right. Because they're ahead of me by like five years. And then they say, oh, look, this guy died. <laughs> what? What? I didn't know that. I didn't know that Alfred died. <laughs> I literally didn't know that Alfred died until a couple years ago. Alfred? They did a whole- yeah. And like, he dies in the 60s and comes back as the outsider. Okay. Well, I guess you didn't know that either. No. <laughs> so, um, in the DC, oh, that's another DC tangent. Yeah, it's, we'll be keep it brief. In the DC um, era, the, around the time of Forever Evil, when they were doing like the crime syndicate, they were building up like the secret bad guys, the secret society of supervillains. Mm-hmm. They had this guy, the Outsider, who was basically an evil Alfred from Earth Three. And it was kind of a riff on the idea from the uh, early 70s when they brought back Alfred. Um, but for a while, the, like, the readers didn't know that it was Alfred because he was going by a name or something called the Outsider. Anyways, um, I haven't read those stories. I was just being told about them by Mr. Michael Bailey. Okay. I haven't either. I need to read more, I need to read more Batman. Evidently, you need to read more Batman. I do. A lot more. There's always more Batman to read. There is. And um, almost done with the Twitter comments, Eric Von Royer writes, so glad you guys are getting on the pro-Flash bandwagon. I don't know about that. <laughs> he says, I came to the same conclusion when I initially read Spider-Man that Peter is a dick and he was the real bully. Reminds me of 30 Rock when Liz Lemon went to her high school reunion and found out that she was the bully. Oh, yeah. I remember that episode. I haven't seen that episode. Well. But I've seen a lot of 30 Rock. Not to burst his bubble, I was on that trip the first couple Flash appearances, but since then he's become much worse. Yeah, he's a bit – I mean, it's the kind of thing that works as a glossed idea. It does not really work always with all the details of all the stories. Although you can still argue that Peter started it, but we don't really know mm-hmm. because we never get – we don't go back to their original animosity towards each other. But right. I feel like he wasn't as evil as he later becomes. And I was just reading a um, – an issue of the Amazing Spider-Man from the 90s today th- during the um, 
Return of the Spider Slayers storyline, they were doing all these backups. Mm-hmm. And uh, Flash and Peter are actually doing a bit of a boxing match while they talk stuff out. And uh, it's kind of a follow-up to the issue that we're going to be recording tonight, issue eight. Anyways, uh, and, and Flash is like, yeah, I, I still say that I didn't bully you. I thought you were really stuck up, and I kind of felt like I had to take you down a peg. But he admits that he had a lot of emotional turmoil with his own relationship with his dad, because mm. his dad was also a big nerdish bookworm kind of character oh. and didn't didn't value Flash's athleticism. That's a different way. I thought you were going to say his dad was an abusive bully, like you know that stereotype. But yeah, hmm. so uh, Flash admits I might have leaned on you more than I meant to. That's cool. So that's another spin on how it could be read. I think Flash is a real tool sometimes, but Peter is also a bit of a tool sometimes. So, you know, it just kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. Uh, Lori Suto exclaims, I'm hooked on the stream of consciousness synopsis approach. Don't you dare prepare your (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Your podcast has inspired me to get Marvel unlimited and get back that Marvel pocketbooks feeling. (gasps) Should they give us money? They totally should. Marvel. Yeah, where's my 10% of whatever that is? Where's the mouse money? We need it. <laughs> by by uh, and the just, way, do you know what Wi-Fi stands for? Right. I'll tell you. No, I, oh, do you, know, do you know now? I do know. It stands for nothing. It stands for nothing? It's it, it's yeah. there because it sounds like hi-fi, isn't it? That's exactly why. It Damn. literally stands for nothing. Or wireless internet fidelity if you have to go there. But that means nothing. All right. Well, now you know, Wi-Fi is a useless term. Humans, kids. And just today, Tim Price linked us an article on Twitter about how uh, there's a species of ant that actually may be able to recognize itself in the mirror, like its visual acuity is enough to recognize itself when it sees a reflection, and can even see the stars in the sky at night. How do they know that? I don't know, but it was actually like a research peer-reviewed professional article. Wow. So... Um, I did not read the article. I just looked at the abstract and what people were saying about it. I like the idea of ants stargazing. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is pretty neat. And finally, from Twitter, Comic Reflection. Um, they cited for us the source of the terms Golden and Silver Age in response to uh, just today's today's episode that dropped, which was episode 25. Because mm-hmm. um, Marvel was putting on their covers, were ushering in the Marvel Age of Comics. And I was like... Wondering, kind of spitballing, if the term Golden Age was in response to, like, well, right now we have all the cool Marvel comics, and the Golden Age is what came before, but the the term Golden Age actually stems back to about 1960, and it was first documented as being used in letters columns by fans. Mm. So fans, and, and like in fanzines and stuff, were using the term Golden Age to refer to the old comics. Uh, Marvel tried to name the modern stuff after themselves and then in the mid to later 60s fans were starting to say well if that was gold this must be the silver 60s we're in right now and the silver idea kind of stuck and then bronze and then i don't know what we are now in the 90s modern current i don't even know how far how how much i mean (laughs) is there something between bronze and current probably it's been going long Um, enough i yeah, the way I break it down in my head is you have the the golden and the silver and the bronze, and the bronze goes into like the mid or late 80s. 
Then you have the 1990s. That's an age of comics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't that's know what you true. want to call it, but the 1990s was a thing. We called the 90s. Um, yeah. That'd be yeah. easy. And I don't know if there's enough distinction to set aside the early 2000s as their own age, but certainly mid 2000s with, um, Infinite Crisis, DC going into this period of constantly rebooting their universe, um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe launching, um, all that stuff kind of sets aside uh, the 2008, 2006, 2008-ish forward. Oh, yeah. In a Marvel comics, you have like the Civil War. You have the mm. Bendis era. Um, oh, yeah. That, you know, New Avengers, Civil War, Secret Invasion, the Marvel Cinematic Universe... All of that stuff is happening on the Marvel side while DC was going into like fits and starts on, on their side. That kind of launches what I think is the modern, Mar- the modern comics era. It's, it's tough to call it modern because in 10 years we can't call it that anymore. So we'll have to come up with something, but yeah, I normally think of the like really, really modern comics era as being like this huge revival of, um, various types of writers like a more diverse cultural backdrop of the writers um a resurgence of non-superhero comics create our own materials uh a much more spread out audience as far as uh, i mean girls have always been in comics but i feel like we have a lot higher percentage of female readership than we've had in decades mm-hmm. um since maybe the 1970s or 80s um and so anyways that's where i when i think of modern comics i think of everything that comic skate hates (laughs) and they have no problem telling you that right right (laughs) so um gosh we have a lot more feedback this time well we're down to bobby unless you have more twitter we're down to uh Bobby, we're down to like facebook comments and messengers i have one oh yeah i forgot about the comments we have one message on Facebook from Bobby Bermia. Uh-huh. And it reads, Hey guys, got turned on to your podcast from John. I'm really enjoying it. I'm hoping when the comics start coming more fast and furious that you continue to give each comic the time you've given them now. After all, what's the rush? It's not like you're going to catch up. We're not? Oh no. <laughs> oh no. What uh, do we do? Love the connection to John Glenn. Good stuff. So that's two votes for John Glenn. Um, I want to empower you to blow off the summary from memory thing. Well, we just were told to keep it. So now I'm confused. Um, I don't get why. It's a pretty relaxed atmosphere already. I don't think you have to worry about not being researched enough or whatever you mentioned early. But hey, you do you. Um, I hope you'll talk some about the thematic and stylist differences, stylistic differences between the twin pillars of early Marvel Ditko. Wow, I read that sentence totally wrong. I hope you'll talk some more about the thematic and stylistic differences between the twin pillars of early Marvel, Ditko and Kirby. I hate Ditko's Hulk. <laughs> uh, loving the show. How about twice a week? It will be twice a week because Josh Bertoni is going to be doing his Patsy Walker podcast, so you guys can tune into that <laughs> every Wednesday. Um, but yeah, we'll probably stick to once a week on the rest of it. Yeah. yeah I mean – even if we had like a whole bunch of episodes in the can, you would still have to make website posts and everything for them every week. I don't know why we do the memory thing. It was just something I thought of like on the first show to like have an excuse to not write anything down. Um, I guess we could like look at the pages as we're talking, but I also just kind of like not doing that because I feel if like I did that, it would make me pause a lot and 
maybe be more detailed than I need to be for myself anyway. Yeah. Um, and I do actually cheat sometimes whenever I haven't read a comic in like a week and I yeah. do look at the pages while I'm doing it. And it does lead to, lead to me being more detailed than yeah. I need to be. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I think it's working. I, I like, I like as little as preparation as necessary. I read the comics. I write stuff down as I read them. And then I talk about those thoughts on the show, but a synopsis, Hey, I can tell a story. I can make it entertaining. Yeah. What I think is entertaining. Yeah. So, um, David Bland gave us a five-star review on Facebook. Nice. Thank you, David. Yeah. So he says, and I didn't even know you could do Facebook reviews until around the time we're doing our last mailbag episode. I was like, really? Yeah, me neither. John Wilson has a habit of making podcasts that chronicle my favorite fandoms. I was an avid listener to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, Golden Age Superman, and the Star Wars Saga cast. Unfortunately, all of those shows were discontinued for one reason or another, but now he's returned with Michael Kaiser to tackle the entirety of the Marvel Universe. Whether the show lasts for 10 weeks or 10 years, you have my undying support. Good luck, guys. Hope you survive the experience. Six months so far. Six months down. And we have like 10 more episodes in the can. So even if we stopped recording now, we'd still have like another three months of episodes coming out. Wow. We should take some time off. We could. Nah. Yeah. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Because <laughs> what would happen is we'd become less invested. If we took time off, we'd become less invested in the show. And it'd be like, you know, inertia to get back into it. Yeah. Um, the Star Wars saga cast, I do have plans to revive. Just throwing that out there. It's going to be next year. Uh, which always sounds weird when people say that to me, but you know, it's there. I'm actually actively working on it. I'm just trying to build up some stuff before I start releasing episodes again. Um, let's see. I didn't actually filter through these Facebook comments. Um, but oh, Tim Price told us that when you get to Roy Thomas writing Doctor Strange, we're going to see. The other Doctor Strange. Oh no, he's like maybe he's spitballing. Never mind. Okay, I was like, oh no, is this really happening? <laughs> Remember how we had the Doctor Strange bad guy in Iron Man? Uh huh. Well, Roy Thomas likes to draw connections, and so Tim is like, well, maybe when you get to Roy Thomas writing Doctor Strange, we're going to see this Doctor Strange return and find out they're cousins. That would be which a crazy connection, <laughs> and both doctors, and both doctors. Kind of strange that that happens, right? Yeah, get it? Eh, strange. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Daniel Doherty thanks me for a Police Academy reference. I can't remember what my Police Academy reference was, but I'm happy to be of service. Uh, Tim says, right after Janet's long stint as Avengers leader in the 80s, Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel, became the new leader. That didn't last long at all and ended badly, which made me sad. I'm a big fan of Captain Monica. Yeah, there was like when the Sh- when the Shazam trailer came out and the Captain Marvel trailer came out, Twitter was abundant with people fighting over who's Captain Marvel. I always like to weird. I always like to throw a uh, old Monica in there and say this is Captain Marvel, right? And everybody goes get out of here, and I laugh. <laughs> but that actually seriously is my first Captain Marvel is Monica Rambeau. So in a way, she is Captain Marvel, even though she's changed her name fifteen times since then. But yeah, and actually, as Photon, she's going to be in um, the mm-hmm. Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think she's in the Captain Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. She's one so, of her fellow pilots or something. Yeah, I'm glad that. Oh, yeah, that's right. A, a pilot with codename Photon. Mm-hmm. I, I love that they're doing that nod. Yeah. I'm just reading through these Facebook comments. I don't know if you want to read some of them, but I can just keep reading through them. Go for it. 
Ben Brainerd says about uh, episode 23, great episode. I really dig your show. The discussion of Doctor Strange. Oh, yes. Okay. The destruction, the destruction, <laughs> discussion of Doctor. Yes, I'm going to destroy Doctor Strange's ethnicity. Uh, it brought the first Doctor Droom story to mind. Doctor Droom, who I think later became Doctor Druid, is a character. He's sort of a proto Doctor Strange drawn by Kirby and inked by Steve Ditko, I should point out. Droom begins the story as a Professor X-looking bald white guy devoid of facial hair, and he goes through a series of trials to reach Ancient One analog, the Old Llama. At the end of the story, the Old Llama transfers his power to Droom, transforming Droom into a stereotype uh, depiction of an Asian man, complete with Fu Manchu mustache. The Old Llama says he has given Droom an appearance suitable to his new role as a magical adventurer. The cultural appropriation and fetishization of Eastern mysticism are frankly gross, but lend some credence to the idea that Strange was originally intended to be Asian. Would have been nice if they'd stuck with that for Steve, but I don't think diversity was at the forefront of anyone in the industry's mind back then. Um, yeah, I mean, white, white common- people just don't do magic, so it makes perfect sense that he's right? supposed to be Asian. And honestly, I kind of feel like that was probably Ditko's thought. Mm -hmm. If he's going to be magical, if he's going to be mystical, he can't be white because the Western world shuns all that stuff. Right. So he's got to be Eastern. Instead, he's a white guy in an Eastern world. Right. Dr. Jim is later brought into the Marvel Universe proper, no longer as an Earthsats Asian person, mercifully enough, (laughs) as everyone's favorite Avengers chairman, Dr. Druid. The transformation panels are uncomfortable as hell, but it's an interesting historical read. Also has a sweet Kirby gorilla lion hybrid monster. So there's that. Wow. It's on Marvel Unlimited in Amazing Adventures 1961, number one, in case you're interested. I know of Dr. Druid, but I had no idea about all this other stuff. So that's interesting. Yeah. Because he comes back with like like the triangle on his chest and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, he's in Cap Wolf. Yeah. And I read he was part of some of the Roger Stern Avengers. So he was there and he was always just like that guy. You're kind of like, who is this dude? I guess he's just the low rent Dr. Strange or something. Um, And Masood Shadravan came on to tell me that I had his name pretty well um, pronounced, which made me happy. My friend Joseph Rollins commented uh, on the uh, Facebook page that he's watching listening to our show. And he's like an actual personal friend that I, I work with at school. So that's really cool. That's the first time I've ever had a friend actually listen to my shows. And Daniel Doherty says, I'm not sure which amuses me more, super asbestos or ghost robots. That is easy to say from the safety of your computer, Daniel. But if you ever had to confront super asbestos or ghost robots, you'd be scared. Right? Yeah. You would be. Okay. We are down to um, website comments. That's all we got left. And they're all from the same guy. Because someone told Al Sedano, Sedano, that we were doing a mailbag episode. So he said, you know what? I'm going to dump all my comments today, <laughs> right before you do this episode. So now you have to talk about them. So darn it. You you, you go, Al. You do it. Um, we actually, we have one other one from Tim. Oh, okay. Do Tim first. Okay. So Tim, who, you know, Tim, I'm glad that you're writing so much because it, it's cool. Um, really sorry. I wasn't in this podcast from the beginning. What a crazy ride in those early Marvel comics. This was no exception. Hulk wearing a Hulk mask, not scrolls, not taking over the earth. The mind boggles. 
and it was interesting to hear the first appearance of Rick's Teen Brigade. I read those original Avengers stories for the first time last year, and they were all over those stories. But what was underwhelming is I never once heard any of their names. We didn't see them as individuals, just Rick and the boys getting in trouble or saving the day. What were the kooky nicknames? Where was the hokey lingo and the insensitive accents? Those were all hallmarks of groups like this. Howling Commandos, Newsboy Legion, etc. Maybe your research will correct that, fingers crossed. Thank you, gentlemen, for an entertaining podcast. MMMS salute. Well, so far, they haven't even showed up again, other than Avengers, I guess. Yeah, we've only done two Avengers issues. Um, They were in the first one. They weren't in the second one. But they come back soon, I know. Yeah, they're just nameless friends of Rick, I guess. Of course, Rick is going to be there for number four, because that's Cap. I think one of them's name is Snapper Carr, but I could be wrong. (laughs) You were reading some Snapper Carr this week. Oh my god, he's annoying. Anyway. (laughs) What inspired the Justice League reading? I wasn't even reading it. I was just browsing through, because I was curious to see if uh, Bats and Soups are actually in there anywhere. And they kind of are, but they're never on the cover, so it's weird. But uh, yeah, Snapper Carr really stood out as like something I really wanted to go away. <laughs> like, he does eventually. He actually gets really mad at the Justice League and tells them to F off. Wow. And then he goes and does his own thing. He's like, yeah. he's like hey guys, F off. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll take yep. Rick Jones any day. Okay. So I'll take this first, Al Sedano, because it's really small and it's easy. And it's not comic special three, Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. I still haven't seen this movie, so I can't comment too much. Okay, so that was that one. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he goes on to say, but it really sounds like something I'll wait until it's available on TV or a subscription streaming service that I already paid for. I also just want to point out there that I love the original Night of the Living Dead. Such a great movie. Yeah, you're not alone there. I mean, a lot of people love the Night of the Living Dead. I haven't seen it. I can't remember if you saw it. Apparently, our go- our host saw it and hated it. Yeah, I think... Um Blaine mentioned that he wasn't able to get through it as, as an example of a movie that everyone seems to love and he just can't watch. And yeah, same. I tried to watch it and the kids were there. We were all excited. I got the kids, original zombie film. Let's get a night of the living dead kids. It's going to be scary. Mm. <sighs> Doesn't hold up, huh? It's just slow as anything. Um, by the way, as far as streaming Fantastic Four, I don't know how you watch this movie. Um, but I actually found that Redbox, you can stream things online sometimes. So that was neat. It wasn't free. I had to pay a little money to do this show. Yes, yes, that's fine. It was like $2 or something like that. Yeah, streaming a movie is like 2 or $3. Yeah, so it wasn't that big a deal. But I couldn't rent it on Amazon, so that's why I went and found it on Redbox. Um, you know what's weird? My son and I tried to watch Transformers the movie last night, uh-huh. and it was search. It was searching and coming up on my Amazon video, but it said this title is currently unavailable. I had to go to YouTube mm. and rent it through YouTube, which yeah. I've never paid money to watch anything on YouTube before. Yeah, it's getting weird. Like so many different services are all getting their own. Like uh, I don't know control over certain movies. I guess. Yeah, weird. Anyways. Uh, you want me to take the next one? Go ahead. Brothers and sisters and wizards, oh my. Episode 12. A few thoughts on some of these issues or your comments. Journey into Mystery 88. It is very strange that no one else on Asgard seems to care or notice that Thor has been missing. Maybe they're secretly happy. Mm-hmm. 
Perhaps Odin just told them he's on a mission or a quest. Maybe that's why only Loki seems to care. He doesn't trust Odin. Or Loki was in prison and didn't hear the news. Yeah. Odin's like, no, I just sent Thor out for some for some toothpicks. We don't have any toothpicks. And we needed some toothpicks. So he'll be back in a couple of centuries. Toothpicks take a long time to make. <laughs> They're like little hammers. But right. S- but spears. I don't know. Uh, so Al says, Fantastic 411, I do love the scene with the FF playing with the kids. Plus, first, Willie Lumpkin. I do like Willie. He can wiggle his ears, you know. Plus, I believe only he and Uncle Ben were the only two non-a-holes that Aunt May was involved with. She really seems to like jerks, doesn't she? Okay, to be fair, Nathan Lebinsky was the sweetest guy in the world until like the last year or so of his stories. And then things went south for him. He was a... He was really, you know, oh, I know what it was with Nathan. He didn't like the way that Peter seemed. He thought Peter was neglecting his aunt. Yeah. And to be fair, Peter does neglect his aunt. Yeah. But, you know, he has a life, too. He does have a life, too. Uh, Al says during his run as writer on Legion of Superheroes, Mark Wade did a short backup story that was basically a letters page like this one. I can't think of other instances where something like this was done. Um. Oh, a letters page like the Fantastic Four co- uh, comic. Oh, okay. Where they did like uh, addressing the uh, reader questions through the narrative. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so I've Legion not, did that. Yeah, I've not read Mark Wade's Legion. Legion is one of those things that like I'm just not going to read any Legion until I get to it in my Legion read through. Yeah, and I'm then just, you have to read all of them. I I will. I will do it. Is yeah, that considered a the, spinoff then? Yeah, uh, Legion a spinoff of Superman. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, at least in my mind, I think of Legion of Superheroes and the Fourth World as spinoffs of Superman. Totally. The so. Fourth World is less so, it's less connected, but in my mind, it's still like, you know, a spinoff. Darkseid is a Superman bad guy that also fights the rest of the DCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice says, I do wonder if this first story should be viewed as just an out of continuity letters page or maybe a TV special, <gasps> a TV special that the FF are filming. I like that idea. Let's go with that because there's two. They, like, there's too many they revelations. Because they can do that. comics about themselves, right? Why yeah. not film a TV episode? Exactly. The only thing I can think of to say about the Impossible Man story is to throw my vote in for New Mutants Annual 3 as the best Impossible Man story ever. Heck yes. But I still like that one, and John didn't. And I don't know why. Because that's a weird, bizarro universe. Mm-hmm. And it made me uncomfortable. I and I hope it never happens again. <laughs> I, I should have liked it, and I, I didn't. <laughs> I want to be the one who doesn't like things, and you're supposed to be the one who likes everything. Let's not... Flip that around. It's just weird. I didn't know what to do about it. And uh, Al's final comment in this series of comments is Tales to Astonish 40. John, I don't judge you for putting that plastic bag on your head. I do judge you for telling your wife about it. Mine still doesn't know. (laughs) Good point. Oh, yes. Okay. So another Al. Episode 13, the first crossover. Do you remember what the first crossover was? Yeah, it was Hulk showing up in the Fantastic Four number 12. All right. Good job. I didn't know that. Okay. Hey, guys. So I have made notes when I listen to the show to comment. However, I've been lazy and am writing them all now right before you are supposed to record your second mailbag episode. I'm hoping you remember the context because I don't. Journey into mystery. Journey into Mystery number 89. So I think it's okay for a woman to choose to be a stay-at-home mom, wife, mother. But if you're going to show that choice, it would be good to also show someone choosing to not do that. At this point in time, it was just assumed that that's what they would do. So that's a good point. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. Thor is praying to Odin for help here again. 
Odin was real nice in these early stories. Maybe that's why they start to make him into a jerk. So it takes the easy option off the table. That makes sense. He's already getting there. He's a nice dad. And then he, like, I think once Thor asks to marry Jane. Yeah. Odin's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Okay. You know what? You can sing anything you want. You can sing Winter Wonderland and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but no more Jingle Bells. <laughs> Which is a line from a movie, and I don't know why it came in there, but that's that's just how Odin acts once he brings up marrying Jane. Yeah, he's definitely acting more like the Odin I think of when I think of Marvel Odin. Uh, Fantastic Four number 12. As for who hates who more, I think Ben hates the Hulk more than the Hulk hates him. I would agree with that. If you have ever read the countdown story during the Peter David run of the Hulk, it has a great bit about the two of them having a drink and talking about just that. I think, I think the thing sees Hulk as a bad reflection and it just makes him, you know how we like kind of hate the things in people that we hate in ourselves sort of situation. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't like Thor thing doesn't like being a monster or being perceived as a monster. And that's just what the Hulk's all about. So, uh, the great lakes Avengers, member you were trying to think of was Flatman. I think that was directed at me because I can't remember anything. High Fidelity, Flatman. Flatman. As for your talk about why the Toad Men skipped over Reed, in my head canon they didn't. They went for him first, but then saw the torch and thing with him and decided it would be easier to go for their second choice. If only they had checked Banner out just a bit longer. Okay. Yeah, who was checking Banner out was Betty. Yeah. Betty was checking him out. She does seem to like the Bruce Banner. After this issue, I think we can agree that the real spy located in General Ross's HR... Wow. After this issue, I think we can agree that the real spy located in General Ross's HR department... What am I missing there? I don't know. It's okay. That the real spy was in... Maybe. General Ross's HR department? Who keeps vetting these guys? Because he hired whoever this card-carrying communist was Uh in the Fantastic 412... So, obviously, the HR people have problems. No kidding. Okay, I'll take a couple of shorter ones here. Okay. Episode 14, Two New Kids on the Block. Here we go. Another comment. Someone asked if the movies create new readers. Well, I don't know if I qualified as new since I was already reading comics in 1987. But the Keaton Batman movie made me try Batman. You and everybody else. Yeah, that's how we got into comics. I mean, it's not how we got into comics. We got into comics about a year later, but the Batman Keaton movie was like a big drive in my brother getting Batman comics. Mm-hmm. Mike's comment about Reed and other geniuses in the Marvel Universe not affecting the rest of the world, why doesn't everyone have flying cars, is part of the basis for Warren Ellis's Planetary series. Okay, I've never huh. read that. I read like two issues of Planetary. I think it's a spinoff of the Wildstorm universe, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. Just want to defend... Todd Schoonover a bit. He is the central mailer for the Legion APA I'm in. Makes sense he'll focus on the Legion over anything else. I have no idea what that means. Okay. So um, Todd Schoonover was replying to something that Al Sedano had said, and I wasn't entirely sure um, the context or anything. And I think it was on that episode that I said, hey, Thanks for following us or something. I don't know. Anyway, so that's that's some context there. So, um, all right, here we go. Another comment. This is on the this is on the first mailbag episode. Full circle. Someone asked. Wait, nope. <laughs> he posted the same comment on two different things. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, uh, I'm just gonna read these last two because then we're gonna be done. Okay. 
Journey into Mystery 90. Here we go. Jerk Odin. Kirby would have designed something more interesting. He did. He designed scrolls. Yeah. Um, and Toadmen. And Toadmen. I think in the context of... Uh, and Saturn Men. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was the uh, the Thor issue where the aliens show up and they're just basically green guys with mustaches. And, right. The and, carbon copy men who can transform into other stuff but don't look interesting. Yeah. That was the first yeah. non-Kirby Thor issue I think we had or something like that. Right. Yes, exactly. These aliens are the perfect product of generations of inbreeding. <laughs> Razia Polishore, inbreeders. <laughs> um, also, thanks for the tip about not putting liquid dish soap in the dishwasher just in time. Woo. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I saved you from ruining your dishwasher forever. And Hulk number six, one of you asked why they had a Hulk mask. Well, you spent hours and hours locked in the cave and see how bored you get. How do they get a Hulk mask? You could you could yeah. you could reply on that next mailbag there, Al. Right. Let's do how. Let's do why. Let's do what, where, when. So and who's gonna who's gonna sit there and put latex on the Hulk's face? So how is next? Mailbag number three. How did they get a Hulk mask? And finally, episode sixteen. Who watches the you know who? Strange Tales one hundred seven. Which torch versus Namor story is better? Human Torch 5 from 1940, which isn't even the Marvel Comics 8 and 9 one that everyone always talks about. So Human Torch 5. There are actually two Human Torch 5s. Did you know this? Yes, I've heard that. I've never read either, but Um, they they messed up, right? Well, not exactly. It was really common practice in the the, uh, 40s that if you wanted to change a comic, discontinue something and replace with something else, you would just keep the numbers. Because number ones were actually less trusted. And so <laughs> Red Raven Comics ran an issue. And they're like, well, that sucked. So let's do Human Torch Comics instead. And they just started with issue two. And they did issue three. And they did issue four. And they went to do issue five. And they're like, um, we don't exactly have the right number of Human Torch Comics. So let's do another number five. And then our numbering and our actual number of comics will match. Because that's less confusing. Right. And now that I'm saying that out loud, it might have been issue four that got duplicated, not issue five. But anyways. It's either one or the other because then you go to any website and they're like trying to figure out how to number this stupid thing. You know, Al Sedano did not just write us a whole bunch of comments on the website. He also wrote us an iTunes review. Oh, are you serious? Let's hear it. Yeah, he did. Let's hear it. So this is actually from a little while back, back in July. He said, five stars from the ground up. This is one of my favorite podcasts. I'm a sucker for comic book history. And each episode this show works it was those. Um, each episode this show works its way through all of Marvel, starting with Fantastic Four One. The hosts are entertaining, and you can tell they're having a great time doing this. I cannot recommend this show enough. So, five star rating from Al Yay. So, how many do we got now? Two? Uh, we have eight. We have two reviews. Oh, you know, we didn't actually give Derek a proper thank you on the last mailbag. We were just like, were there any more iTunes reviews? No. So also thank you to Derek Burka for writing a five-star review. It was before the show came out. He said, very excited for this to get going and looking forward to following along. So it felt a little bit weird at the time, but it's still a review. It's still on iTunes. It's still five stars, which gives us a 5.0 out of five after eight ratings. Yes. Nobody wrecked that. (laughs) Of course, now I just challenged them to all wreck it, but. Hey. Right, they're all going to go give us fours and threes and <laughs> negatives. I'll give them a one just to ruin everything. Right. 
So, yeah. I guess that's another mailbag uh, Wow, episode. that was more than I thought. It was a bit lengthy. Well, um, you know, they had a lot to say, and we had a lot to say about what they had to say. So it works out. Maybe we should do these more frequently. I don't know when the last one was. Uh, three months ago. Okay. So maybe like once a month or once every two months or something. I don't know. Keep, yeah, we'll, keep writing, guys, and we'll just try and space it out better maybe. Yeah, it's hard to tell how long it's going to take to talk through everything. Uh-huh. But we are talkers, so we should know better. But We should. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for writing in. That was awesome. Um, I like there's another I like feedback because then I know people are listening, which is cool. Yeah, um, there's an old saying. I say old saying. There's a saying I heard back during a previous podcast I was doing that feedback is the currency of podcasting. They're like, we don't charge for this stuff, but it's really nice to hear what people have to say about it. Yeah, nobody wants to do a podcast in a vacuum. I I don't think right. Um, maybe like it's hard to breathe. Maybe when you know, right now we're at 25 episodes. Maybe when we hit like. A hundred or something, we could figure out how to do one of those call-in shows or something. I have no I- no idea how to do that, but maybe we could figure it out by then. I have never done a comment show. Me neither. Oh my gosh. Mike, do you know what happened? Huh? Al Sedano wrote in another comment. No, he did not. <laughs> he did. It's since it's while we've been recording that he put it in there. Well, I don't know. I think he missed the cutoff. Okay. Okay. But I don't well, have it. Could, I have an email about it. Well, if you want to do it, I'll leave it to you because you have it and I don't. Okay. Not comics special for Ant-Man and the Wasp. All right. Okay. Loved this episode and Sarah was an awesome guest. We love you, Sarah Century. I enjoyed the movie and was very happy with how Bill Foster was used. One of the early comics I had back when I first started reading was an old issue of Black Goliath. So I always was happy when he showed up. I was very happy that he ended up being more antagonistic rather than a villain. As for Hope, I enjoyed her more in this movie than the first one, maybe because she felt less like Kate from Lost, whom I did not care for. I felt like this move was still was split pretty evenly between the two of them, with her getting more of the action story, and he had more of the personal story. Which, forgive me for stereotyping, or not stereotyping, but for generalizing, isn't it usually the reverse? That the guy gets the action story and the woman gets the personal story? Yeah, yeah. They get they get all the feelings and the guy gets to flex his muscle and punch things, right? And this was he's right that was it it was the other way in this, which you know I'm glad they you know tipped the scales on that. Uh, he says he's Jack Burton to her Wang, if you know Big Trouble in Little China, which I don't, I don't because I haven't seen that classic film. Finally, if Sarah wants to read more from Louise Simonson, she should check out Power Pack. Well, I will say this: Sarah Century has read a metric frog ton of comics she's always posting articles where she like reads a person's entire catalog before she writes the article so she reads a lot um but has she actually, ever posted power pack i don't know sarah if you're listening have you read power pack because the louise simonson june brigman power pack is the bee's knees i've read one issue of power pack and it was the one where barry windsor smith drew wolverine and that little girl in power pack like in one story, it was like a one-shot. Little, little, yeah, little Katie Power. Yeah, that's the only one I've read, but it was really cool. And the older sister, Julie Power, is one of the big uh, bisexual co- uh, characters in Marvel Comics. Well, so okay. That's pretty neat. I, well, I mean, I agree with him, though. I didn't like Hope. I think I've already already said this, so why are we bringing it up again? But I didn't like Hope in Ant-Man either. I don't know why, but I loved her in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So go figure. I think we were given more from her point of view 
in Ant-Man and the Wasp, mm-hmm. whereas in Ant-Man, it was mostly from Scott's point of view, and she just seemed like, she seemed like she thought Scott was in her way, which he was kind of in her way, but we didn't get to see her perspective on that very much. Yeah, it's kind of a one note. Um, she's going to be the big B in the movie, apparently, and then they gave her more to do in this one. Right. Okay. So next feedback episode is down the road a ways. Do keep sending in your emails to podcast at makearsmarvel.com or by clicking the contact form link on the website. Yep. Thanks everybody again for writing in and we'll see you all next time. And in the meantime, keep checking out our regular show. Yeah. There's another episode on the feed right now. Episode 26, where we're talking about um, Marvel comics. Do you know which one? Put you on the spot. Uh, I could find out in 10 seconds, but I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. I don't either. <laughs> um, but actually, uh, it is going to be the one about Journey into Mystery 95, Tales to Astonish 47, and the Fantastic Four 18, which is the Super Scroll. Okay. Super Scroll. There you go, guys. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.